Welcome to the Why It Works podcast. I'm Joe Kwan, your host. Together, we'll pull back the curtain to reveal the hidden principles behind why things work. Things work for a reason. Let's find out why. I'm so excited to share I just released my online course. The Easy Peasy Public Speaking Makeover Series will not only help you overcome your fear, but will help you shine. The first module, Overcoming Your Fear of Public Speaking, is always free. If you are willing to improve in this area, just click on the link in the show notes or go to www.connectioncounselor.com. Here with us today is Dr. Diane Hamilton, author of Cracking the Curiosity Code. Dr. Hamilton is an award-winning speaker, nationally syndicated radio host, and curiosity and emotional intelligence expert. We speak to Diane early in the morning from her office. Welcome, Diane, to the Why It Works podcast, and thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me on, Joe. I'm looking forward to this. Me too. The other day, I was marveling at how naturally curious my son is. It's something I hope he carries with him into adulthood. And I notice there's a tendency to lose touch with our natural curiosity as we get older. What has been your experience? Well, I wrote about that in my book. And I think it's a very important thing to look at because we're all born naturally curious. We all have this innate trait that we would like to explore things. I mean, if you look at just birds, if they just ate berries from the same bush all the time, they might be missing berries from another bush. I mean, there's so many things in nature that show us why we need to be curious. And with children, they're really curious until they hit about, you know, that four to six age starts to wane. And as you're entering, uh, you know, the education system where teachers don't have time to completely answer every single question you have because there's other children, it's natural you're going to see a decrease. But in general, there's a lot of research on not just curiosity, but creativity and different things in kids. And they find that uh, there's, there's a lot of TED talks about this, that, you know, at about age two, you've got all these genius level, 98% of them are like genius level. And then by the time they get to their 20s, they've got like 2% that are genius level in terms of creativity. And a lot of that is due to Uh, the fact that curiosity can wane. And the problem is we have so many factors that impact curiosity that it's tough to keep that same childlike level that you had when, you know, when you're a young child. Yeah. And I think we'll probably get into some of those factors as we uh, proceed through this. We will. I'm really (laughs) excited uh, about that. But first, let's get to know you a little bit better. Tell us what you do, but break it down as if you were explaining it to a five-year-old. Wow. Okay. Um, I do a lot of things, and that's what makes it hard to say what I do because I have, like you, I have a show. I have a nationally syndicated radio show and a podcast, and so I get to interview billionaires and top executives. I've interviewed people that uh, you just, you know, that blow me away. Every time I speak on the show, I have some of the most interesting people, everybody from Albert Bandera, who's one of the top names in psychology next to Freud, to Steve Forbes, the biggest name in business, you know, and, and publishing, to billionaires like uh, the person um, 
like Keith Crock, who is the DocuSign chairman, or uh, Craig from Craigslist, or you know, just amazing people. And uh, so I get to interview people every day on my show, which I love doing that. But you know, I also own, um, and I'm the CEO, a founder of Tenera, which is a consulting company where I work as a um, speaker, an author, a consultant, a moderator, you name it. I pretty much do it. I go to organizations, help them with their uh, issues with uh, behavioral problems, with uh, emotional intelligence, uh, engagement, just about everything you could think of that uh, leaders struggle with, I I deal with. So uh, because of that, it led me to write, I've written several books. This is my fourth book just came out this year, and it's about curiosity. But uh, basically what I do is I look at factors that keep people from being successful, and I help them to learn more uh, to improve in those areas. And so I do that through my shows, through my uh, education um, I, I teach as well, so I, I have a lot of students that I still teach. I've taught more than a thousand business courses. So, uh, in all these courses I teach, I I share this information that I've learned, and so I share on the radio. So I basically am a person that shares information either through my radio show, my speaking, my teaching, or my writing. Wow, I love it! And the one thing you don't seem to do is sleep. <laughs> I don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, this is what, 7 a.m. my time, and I've been working for three hours now. Honestly. Oh, my God. It's not a good sign, right? <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. All right. I am so happy you're here today to talk about the topic of curiosity, and let me tell you why. Lately, I've been exploring the role of curiosity and how we connect to others. And I think there's a real power in being curious about another person. However, I feel a lot of us don't really understand curiosity well, where it comes from, whether it's fixed or malleable, and how it can be nurtured or stifled. And I'm really excited to hear more about these types of aspects from you. How did you get started exploring the topic of curiosity? Well, basically, um, it's a good question because I've as I said, I've interviewed these billionaires and then I have these students and it's just an extreme range between uh, people trying to be successful and people who've already reached success. And I looked at what really was the difference of uh, these unbelievably successful individuals. uh, And they all kind of um, had this just desire to learn more. I've, you know, I've had Naveen Jain, who's another billionaire on my show who you know, everything he does is just to read the next thing about the next industry, and he never stops reading. And And I thought, well, what makes him so curious? And then I started to look at my students, and a lot of them were very curious, but some of them weren't. They just kind of wanted you to tell them that the answers to things, you know, like, hey, just tell me how to do it one time. And then they didn't really care about the foundational aspects to things sometimes. And I thought, well, why aren't they as curious? And I started to think about writing a book about it because I thought curiosity is fascinating. I, I, I liked finding your why and I like drive and all the different books that were out there. You know, Daniel Pink's book was wonderful. So it was Simon Sinek's, you know, and there's so many good books, but I thought, well, I didn't really want to write just about curiosity because obviously there's a lot of drive and motivation books out there. And there are books about curiosity that are really great out there. I wanted to write, as I started to write it, I started to realize I needed to write about what keeps people from being curious. Because if you could figure out what stops it, then you can improve it, right? Right. So 
that was my focus as I started to create the book. I figured it had to be more than a book. It couldn't just be a book because that didn't solve the problem for me. I wanted to measure it and determine the factors that stopped it so that I could fix that. And that's why I created the Curiosity Code Index to go along with the book. So you can read the book, you can take the assessment. And once you take the assessment, you get a baseline and then you can create a plan to improve curiosity. So that's kind of my thought process as I went through it. Oh, great. I find it, um, I've interviewed a couple other authors and I find it very interesting how they settle uh, or come upon the topic of, of what they're writing. Everyone goes through a slightly different process, but sometimes it ends up not being exactly what they thought in the beginning, but it ends up being the right thing eventually. Right. You know, I, I think that I've written, this is my fourth book and I've written books on personality. I wrote my dissertation on emotional intelligence. So I've always been interested in behavioral things that go along with, um, you know, success. And when I wrote my dissertation, I, I became certified to give the EQI, which is an emotional intelligence test. And I also became certified in other ones like the Myers-Briggs, MBTI, things like that. And that got me interested in assessing things just in general. Uh, I hadn't, you know, really thought about assessments before that, but that is kind of the thought process uh, I had gone through in my dissertation process. So I thought, well, you know, that would be really interesting to see what kind of assessments are out there on curiosity. And when I started to see them, they were all measuring if you're curious or not. And they were kind of like, you know, how curious are you kind of. And I thought, well, that's great. I like that. But that doesn't solve the problem of what's stopping you. And so that's where I got more uh, aligned to, well, let me create this assessment. And that sounds a lot easier than it is, actually. That was really challenging. <laughs> I started writing this, and you have to have this psychometric background with statistics and, and be able to run factor analysis to make sure that your questions are asking the right thing. And it gets really complicated. And I learned a lot, and uh, I was very curious to figure it out. I was just like, I am going to learn this. Uh, <laughs> I'm kind of tenacious when it comes to something. If I can't figure it out, I'll just keep going until I, you know. But I finally um, got the answers to what I hadn't learned, you know, on the psychometric side of it. And it was uh, really fascinating to go through. And now I feel real confident to uh, do other assessments on my own um, because this thing really was very challenging. I mean, I'd hired people from Harvard graduates to Pepperdine people I'd talked to. And just everybody from, you know, they were having difficulty uh, um, coming up with these questions because nobody had ever done it before. And that's why I'm thinking I'm getting so much attention from just the top leaders. If you look in the beginning of my book, um, there's a list of all the people from Steve Forbes to Ken Fisher, you know, you know, you name it saying, you know, they are praising, they were praising the book and the work in curiosity. And, and even Vern Harnish, who's a big leader and, you know, who's, uh, a leadership uh, expert talked about how this could be the next big thing in human performance training. And I think it could be. Wonderful. Let's take a look at this older movie, but I still find it super inspiring today. Thank you for playing, Mr. Dalton. I stand upon my desk to remind myself that we must constantly look at things in a different way. The world looks very different from up here. You don't believe me? Come see for yourselves. Come on. Come on. Just when you think you know something, you have to look at it in another way. Even though it may seem silly or wrong, 
You must try. Now, when you read, don't just consider what the author thinks. Consider what you think. Boys, you must strive to find your own voice. Because the longer you wait to begin, the less likely you are to find it at all. Thoreau said most men lead lives of quiet desperation. Don't be resigned to that. Break out. Don't just walk off the edge like lemmings. Look around you. There. There you go, Mr. Christie. Thank you. Yes. Dare to strike out and find new ground. Now, in addition to your essays, I would like you to compose a poem of your own, an original work. That's right. You have to deliver it aloud in front of the class on Monday. Bon chance, gentlemen. Diane, what do you see here? That's got to be one of the greatest scenes in any movie ever. I mean, it just, uh, I love Robin Williams' work, and I thought that he did such an excellent job of getting that point across. And, and I don't know if there's a better way of saying it than how they said it in Dead Poet Society, because it's exactly what I'm, I'm trying to, to get through um, with my work, is that I'll, it's really easy for us to, to just keep, doing the status quo kind of thinking, to just go on the same path that you've always gone on and to not look at things from a different perspective. And, and all of us have this voice in our head that's created a lot of it's from our environment or, you know, how we were raised and people around us that you don't even question things sometimes. And you just go on every day doing the same thing the same way. And he talked about um, just when you think you know something, and it reminded me of a talk, uh, an interview I had with Ellen Langer from Harvard. And Dr. Ellen Langer is the mother of uh, uh, mindfulness. Yes, she's the mother of mindfulness. And she is just unbelievably interesting to talk to. She was saying how she had had a um, time, she had a story where she had this gentleman ask her to watch his horse while he went and got the horse a hot dog. And she got, what? Horses don't eat hot dogs, you know, in her mind, you know. <laughs> And he went to go get the hot dog. He came back, he fed the horse the hot dog. And the horse ate it. And she's like, wait a minute. She goes, well, in my mind, you know, horses don't eat hot dogs, but I guess sometimes they do. And she says, and she looked at things from that perspective at that, from that point on, that what you think you know as 100% the truth is not really necessarily always the truth. And I think a lot of us buy into the things that we know is true and just accept it and don't question anything because we were taught that this is what it is for our whole lives. But I really love the thinking differently. I, I, one of the favorite uh, authors for me was always been Neil deGrasse Tyson because he just thinks totally outside the box. And I, it's astrophysics completely different than my business, normal, everyday stuff that I listen to but or read. I, I do a lot of audio listening, though. And his stuff really um, makes you think of yourself from such a different perspective because we, you think of yourself so big and grand, you know, here on, on the planet. And then you look at when you think of how minuscule we are in the whole scheme of everything, it really makes you think, well, maybe I'm not right about everything that I thought I was right about. And that's why I think what he's talking about is, you know, you have to have your own voice. You have to have um, the ability to just break out of this 
uh, I know it, this is what it is thinking because maybe you're wrong. Yeah. What I find really fascinating about what you're saying is there's a certain element of initially where you're learning something and you learn it, but there comes a point where you start to internalize it and you start to put your own perspective on it. And that's really how you come up with your own thoughts, your own voice, really great things. You don't, you, you, you respect what came before and, and you learn from it and you try to learn the principles, but to take it beyond that, you have to actually challenge it, question it. You have to wonder and come up with your own sort of uh, individual independent thoughts on things. Well, that's really ties into what I'm writing about now in the future. My next book's on perception and uh, your perspective and how you take things and uh, look at it a little bit differently and need to see other people's perception and perspective because a lot of us don't do that. I love that. We're going to have to have you back when that book's done. <laughs> Maybe a little while. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This next show always resonated with me on such a deep level, the whole father-son thing. Dad, have you ever thought about your life? Huh? Oh, well, it's for school. I mean, if you had to write about it, what would you say? Okay, time for a meaningful father-son exchange here. A thoughtful summing up. I get up at five in the morning. I fight traffic. I bust my hump all day. I fight traffic again. And I come home. Then I pay my taxes. The end. In a way, it kind of made you feel like you knew the guy. What is your reaction, Diane? <laughs> uh, you know, Wonder Years was great. It was, a, it was such a, a wonderful show. And I, and I love the look on the father's face when he asks the question. But then again, you know, all of his reaction was, and you can't see that on the air, but it was this like horror that this kid's asking him this question he doesn't even want to think about, right? And, uh, but basically, he's, you know, the child is looking for meaning and, and all this and this great response. And all he gets back is this, you know, this negative, like, oh, my life, you know, it's just this endless, meaningless uh, kind of thing that you just start new day and do it over again. And that's what so many people do. And that's what I'm trying to not have it be so much like that. And I think, you know, that came across to me as he didn't feel like he had any other option, the father, you know mm. what I mean? Like, this is my life. This is what it is. Get used to it. This is what your life will be like is basically how he's teaching his kid. And that's going to come across to this child later. You know, the, their parents teach their, their kids to be a certain way. And you don't realize some, what the impact is sometimes of what our parents have said to us. And in this particular scene, he's telling the kid, you know, this is how it is. It's just, you know, negative. And, and this is going to change this child's perception of, you know, of what he can do and what is, you know, possible because it's just so negative and so um, limited. And I'm trying to get rid of that limiting thinking with the, the Curiosity Code Index, uh, the fourth factor that uh, I found impacted curiosity. Actually, there's four factors, which are fear, assumptions, technology, and environment. But the fourth factor of environment uh, is this type of thing. Your family has a huge impact on how curious you're going to be. And if you think your whole life is to go to work, get up, you know, make breakfast, whatever, uh, pay taxes, go to bed kind of thing, 
then in your mind, you don't really see opportunities or options sometimes because it's put into your, your psyche at such a young age that, yeah, get used to it, buddy. This is it. This is the best it's going to be. It's as good as it gets kind of thinking. And I don't think it has to be as good as it gets. I think it's as good as you want to make it. And I, I think that uh, recognizing that you have had this programming in you from your family and your environment and your teachers and your friends and your peers and social media or wherever is impacting you, I think you need to just recognize that. And that was one of the things I was trying to do with the assessment was to get people to have this dialogue. Oh, yeah, I was always told this. And I was always explained it that way. And so that's why I think this way. And maybe if I didn't think this way, I'd have more opportunities to be better aligned with a job I'd like better. And, you know, there, there's, it's a big dialogue that I'm trying to open up with people so that they can set some goals and some ways of doing things differently. Maybe don't get up and uh, you guys still pay your taxes, but everything else he said you didn't have to do, you know, necessarily. And you don't have to do your taxes every day. And there's a lot of things that could be changed based on um, just opening up your mind to realizing that just because somebody else has soured on life, uh, you don't have to. Well, what I love about what you're saying here, Diane, is in the work that you're doing is it's sort of a, a, an acknowledgement and a way to combat the worst sort of self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Where mm -hmm. you're just like, this is the way it's always been for generations. This is the way it's going to be. And in a weird sort of way, your mind sees what you've programmed it maybe subconsciously to see. So there could be great opportunities right in front of you, but you're not going to see them. Your mind is not a video camera that records everything, you know, uh, clearly it, it has certain filters on it. Um, and, you know, I believe that a lot of our sort of environment, like you were saying, our training, our perspective can drastically affect what we see. Definitely. And I think it's the recognizing that you've been programmed that, this is why I think this way and why somebody else doesn't think that way. And that's a real big part of understanding um, of self-awareness and developing empathy as well, which are big parts of emotional intelligence, which is what I learned uh, in my dissertation. Great. So important first step is to recognize the mechanism that's going on. It's very important. So let's take a look at one of the more creative movies I've seen in recent years. Good morning, apartment. Good morning, doorway. Morning, wall. Morning, ceiling. Good morning, floor. Ready to start the day. Dee, 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 dee. Ah, here it is. Instructions to fit in. Have everybody like you and always be happy. Step one, breathe. Okay, got that one down. Step two, greet the day's smile and say, Good morning, city. Step three, exercise. Jumping jacks, hit them. One, two, three. I am so pumped up. Step four, shower. And always be sure to keep the soap out of your ass. Shave your face. Rough real true. Comb your hair. <laughs> Wear clothes. Oop, almost forgot that one. No, no, uh-uh, no, not that wrong. And that's it, check. So, Diane, how might we look at this? Is that Chris Pratt? I love. I, <laughs> I think it is. Yeah, he's hilarious. I love Chris Pratt, isn't he the best? Um, I have not seen that movie, but I love that scene. And because 
there's so many of us who want to just fit in and follow what other experts have told you is the right way to be. That, okay, if you follow this checklist and you go down at exactly this path and you mark off each of these boxes, then you're going to be a happy, perfect person. And it just doesn't work that way. And I think a lot of experts are out there to help give guidance, but they don't, they don't know any more than I know than you know. You know, everybody, <laughs> everybody's got their own reality, right? And what may be the perfect way for me to live may be the not horrible way for you to live based on your preferences and your interests and your desires. And, and you can't get a book that tells you exactly how to live and how to be or a movie that tells you this or, you know, it's really something that you, you find through trial and error of what works for you and your preferences. And, you know, I think somebody wants all the answers. Uh, you know, everybody would like to know the answers of how to be. And, and if you really knew it all, wouldn't life be really boring? I mean, seriously, you wake up and you know exactly how it's supposed to be perfect. It won't be perfect because you'd be bored. So part of the joy, I think, of curiosity and is the discovery of learning something new every day uh, that you just, you know, if you just sit there and I meet a lot of people that just sit there and watch the faucet drip all day and are thrilled with it. I don't know. <laughs> I can't do that. I need to have new things, learning and interesting things happen to me. Otherwise, you just kind of exist. And that's my biggest fear is just existing and not living. I just don't want to do that. So what I'm hearing from you, Diane, is life is messy, but it's a joyous messy. That, like that mess is good <laughs> to, to be able messy. to create and learn. Yeah. Yeah, otherwise it's just dull. Who, who wants dull? I mean, you're only going to live once, you know. Why not make the most of it? Why not have it be interesting and exciting and, and challenging and rewarding? And if you're just sitting there watching the faucet drip, what do you, well, why even be here? Yeah, and, and I wonder if there's a correlation between that sort of mentality and, and not really being able to change or, or improve or, you know, move forward. You know, I think anybody can improve. It's wanting to improve. And uh, some people just don't want to, like you're saying, you know, they've, they've, they're listening to that voice. And the second assumption I had with, I mean, the second uh, factor I had was assumptions hold us back. And assumptions are that voice in your head. It's that I won't like that. It's going to be boring. It's going to be too hard. I'm not, it's not interesting. I read it when I was young and it was awful. You know, you've got this negative voice going on in your head that talks you out of doing things. And some of it's because of our environment. Some of these factors overlap. You know what I mean? And some of it is just, you did have, you didn't like it when you were young. And, but then again, maybe you had a teacher who was awful and you know, you don't know what you're going to like when you get older. Uh, you might have traveled somewhere and thought, oh, that now I really am interested in, in this historical thing. That When I was in school, they made me memorize the date and the, the paragraph of what, who was in it and who cared, right, when you're young. But now you're like, oh, this is interesting. This impacts me of why I have this economy now. Or you don't know what was boring when you're young. is completely different to you now. So I think that we need to listen to that voice in our head and go, what is that telling me? Why is that telling me I hate statistics? <laughs> Why is that telling me I don't want to uh, learn about history or I don't want to, you know, whatever it is, you know, that your voice is telling you. And where is that coming from? And if I read about that now in a new way from a different kind of person, would I find it more interesting? And maybe you will never like statistics or history or whatever it is. But 
trying things in a new way from a different angle is really important to know what you really would like at this point in your life. Because every stage of your life, things are different. You just change. Your experiences change you. And it opens you up to, to new things. I didn't like statistics the first three times I had to take it. Trust me. I, I had to take it for my bachelor's, my master's, and my doctorate. Hated it every time. But doing it in a real world situation for like creating this assessment and finding a real meaning behind it that this was going to be oh this is how you it was almost puzzle like it was so cool that i actually figured out how, why this is important and had real meaning behind it now i'm like oh, i'd like to take statistics again because now I, it, it's got a reason for why you'd even want it in the past when things are theory sometimes with people it, you can't use it in extrapolate into your life and you don't find it as interesting. Well, Diane, you've touched on something here that I think is so powerful. The concept that we often decide on how much we'll like something or whether we should do something based on a vision of ourselves at a certain point in time. But as, as you very aptly pointed out, we're changing all the time. We might be different an hour from now. So a lot of times those assumptions about what we prefer, what we like, they may be totally off base. And it's only by just engaging and trying do you really find out what that result is going to be. Yeah, I totally agree. You just, you know, I think that's what I'm trying to do is get this be, get this out as a dialogue that people have with, with someone else or with themselves and, and both, you know, and, and I, I've got a lot of training that went along with the, the CCI um, courses that uh, when consultants come to organizations or if I go to organizations to give it or whoever gives it, the HR people or whatever, um, that they, they go through these exercises with people to go over not only how um, their curiosity impacts them personally through the fear, assumptions, technology, and environment issues, but then how they can help the leaders and organizations help them uh, now that they know it from the personal level, then they help the trainers uh, come up with a, an organizational overall plan to help with things like critical thinking, uh, engagement, uh, soft skills, leadership issues, uh, innovation, uh, and productivity. All the things that leaders are struggling with, the, these uh, uh, training courses help people provide feedback for them to, to overcome that based on their understanding of the importance of curiosity. And it's been really exciting to see people light up when they do this. That's amazing. Uh, you touched upon leadership a little bit. Let's take a look at how curiosity can actually draw people in. <clears throat> uh, hi, my name is Hugo. Sorry. My name is Hiro Hamada, and I've been working on something that I think is pretty cool. I hope you like it. This is a microbot. It doesn't look like much, but when it links up with the rest of its pals, things get a little more interesting. 
The microbots are controlled with this neurotransmitter. I think what I want them to do. They do it. The applications of this tech are limitless. Construction. What used to take teams of people working by hand for months or years can now be accomplished by one person. And that's just the beginning. How about transportation? Microbots can move anything anywhere with ease. If you can think it, microbots can do it. The only limit is your imagination. Microbots. What was happening here, Diane? Well, I don't know how well they could, you know, visualize what was, he was just doing, but he basically uh, was showing a little piece of a uh, metal that attached to a lot of other pieces of metal that created these unbelievable things. Whatever he thought about, it would create. And it was very innovative, obviously, is showing the power of your imagination and what you create. And, and that's what I'm looking at. I, I think that what he's talking about here is also teaming and teams of how they get along based on opening up their minds to some ideas. And, you know, I think that that's a really interesting um, outcome from all of this when you're talking about curiosity, because it can, my curiosity can spark a curiosity in you because you hadn't even thought about that. I'm asking you a question and you're like, huh, well, that's an interesting question. I, I can't tell you how many people I've had on my show who said, nobody's ever asked me that before. And I have people on my show that have been on a million shows. But I'm one of those people that asks the really weird uh, off-the-wall question because I'm thinking it, you know. And I, I think when you get people who ask those really off-the-wall questions, um, it's great because it brings up a conversation instead of the same old conversations that everybody's having. And this guy, obviously, in this video, it's a cartoon of, creativity showing, you know, wow, let's listen to what he's been able to do based on using his uh, imagination and, and his abilities to innovate. Um, I think that that's what we need in organizations is uh, somebody who can think about, look at all these cool things. It also brought to mind all the cool um, technology we have that we thought about years ago. I mean, if you watch old Star Treks with the flip phones and the, you know, all this stuff and look at all the things that became reality yeah. Or better than reality, and I almost get it. Find it interesting. They still use the flip phones and some of the Star Trek things now that we've gone past flip phones um, to, to the flatter screens and all that. But um, I love to see the Jetsons and the old uh, cartoon, thing, you know, that were just predictive of some technology. Uh, still waiting for the transporter device. Would love that, but you know, some of them haven't <laughs> come to. <laughs> I don't know if I want all my atoms to take it apart and put back together, though. But um, some of them, I had some really cool ideas. of uh, I, And I think if you could envision it like that, eventually somebody creates it. And I, I love that people are using their imaginations to come up with ideas. I, the Elon Musk of the world, uh, the, you know, I, 
just the people who I've interviewed. I had Chris Ye on my show this week who wrote a book with Reed Hoffman, the creator of LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And they wrote a, this unbelievable book about blitz scaling. Um, and it's, it's all about how to get your ideas and become these next big LinkedIn uh, Amazons, uh, Microsofts of the world. Bill Gates even wrote the foreword to the book. And, um, you know, when, when I talk to people like Chris Ye or, you know, anybody like that, that who has this huge way of thinking, they don't think in this little tiny box, you know, it just shows you that if more people would just open themselves up to these really big ideas, that we could just have such amazing innovation. And I think this is the time for it. I think that's why my book's hitting such a nerve right now, because, you know, I, we're worried about artificial intelligence. I had the father of artificial intelligence on my show recently, Jürgen Schmidhuber. And, you know, it's going to be everywhere. Even he, you know, he says, you know, this, this is happening. This is taking over. We, we, you know, and I think it's really important that as people become um, taken out of jobs that they maybe were comfortable or did, didn't even like maybe, that now we align them with what would interest them. And the, to do that, you've got to develop curiosity to ask the questions, to seek the things that might be something, maybe you'll find a job that's much more uh, appealing. Well, what you're saying, what it makes me think about is how many great conversations, how many great innovations, how much revenue is being lost because someone felt uncomfortable or was hesitant to ask a question, right? Right. And like you were saying, it it would have led to the next question and then sparks fly and amazing things happen. But that that catalyst doesn't happen if we're afraid to ask the next question or ashamed to ask it. Well, that's why we we are losing uh, more than 500 billion a year on engagement. And if we have such a small percentage of the workforce engaged and a lot of it is, you know, they want to know more about they want more feedback about what they're doing and how it's important to the overall organizational's uh, organization's goals. Um, that's curiosity. They want to know how, what I do matters. And, you know, and if people are just going to work and just disengaged, it's costing so much money. It's also, they're losing hundreds of billions for um, interpersonal skills and conflict and all the things that if people worked on developing uh, an empathy and interpersonal skills, uh, we would have, think of the money you'd save there. And that a lot of that is based on developing, um, curiosity enough to ask the questions uh, about what somebody else is interested in developing empathy is my ability to put myself in your shoes right mm-hmm. how do i do that if i don't know anything about you or care about what you're doing or ask those questions and i think that that's what we're, we're trying to to do i mean i have chapters about emotional intelligence and things like that we're talking about now in in the book because everything that as i started to research it it didn't matter what the problem was in the workplace it all came back to curiosity because curiosity is the spark that lights drive and motivation. And if you can't be driven or motivated, you know, then you're having all the critical thinking problems, all the soft skills issues, all the engagement and productivity, innovation, you, you name it, all of them come back. No matter how many times I would look at things, I kept thinking, well, this is the spark. And I had a lot of creativity experts and motivation experts and everybody on my show. And I asked them, I go, well, do you, which comes first? And they all agree. Curiosity comes first. Curiosity is the spark that lights mm-hmm. drive and motivation. I love that. I love mm-hmm. that. So let's take a look at 
a comedian. Uh, comedians are known by their creativity. And let's take a look at one that's becoming a favorite of some of my guests. See, I'm not one of these people who's worried about everything. You got people like this around you. Country's full of them now. People walking around all day long, every minute of the day, worried about everything. Worried about the air, worried about the water, worried about the soil. Worried about insecticides, pesticides, food additives, carcinogens. Worried about radon gas, worried about asbestos. Worried about saving endangered species. Let me tell you about endangered species, all right? Saving endangered species is just one more arrogant attempt by humans to control nature. It's arrogant meddling. It's what got us in trouble in the first place. Doesn't anybody understand that? Interfering with nature. Over 90%, over, way over, 90% of all the species that have ever lived on this planet, ever lived, are gone. They're extinct. We didn't kill them all. They just disappeared. That's what nature does. They disappear these days at the rate of 25 a day. And I mean regardless of our, our behavior. Irrespective of how we act on this planet, 25 species that were here today will be gone tomorrow. Let them go gracefully. Leave nature alone. Haven't we done enough? We're so self-important. So self-important. Everybody's going to save something now. Save the trees, save the bees, save the whales, save those snails. <laughs> and the greatest arrogance of all, save the planet. What? Are these f***ing people kidding me? <laughs> save the planet? We don't even know how to take care of ourselves yet. We haven't learned how to care for one another. We're going to save the f***ing planet? I'm getting tired of that. What are your <laughs> observations, Diane? That there aren't too many people I love more than George Carlin um, for a lot of reasons. He's probably one of the most curious people ever. And yeah. what it would take to do his rants and um, to memorize some of the stuff that that guy memorized to get some of his dialogue out. I, I, I'm always mesmerized by him. And he's, he makes such an important point about humility. Um, I think that we see ourselves very seriously and it's hard not to. I mean, you know, you only see things from your own perceptive stance, your own perspective. And that's, I think you have to be, have humility and openness to other people to be really, truly curious. And if you've already decided that you're more important than anything else, you know, that, that's going to limit you. And you have to realize that everything has importance. And I think that uh, he talks about fear in general and how we fear things. And that's why, uh, the, I mean, the last uh, video we talked about technology to some extent, you know, but you can have fear of technology. You can have fear of a lot of things. Um, I think with fear, that's probably what I expected to hold people back the most, but it was interesting that it was kind of evenly split between the four factors, the fear, assumptions, technology, and environment all held people back. And fear, though, it, it can be very, very hard for people if they've been told um, that they can't do something or they look dumb uh, because they suggested something. Or, you know, there's all these fear issues that, that keep people from, um, moving forward, asking questions, proposing solutions. How about the people that say, don't come to me with a problem if you don't have a solution? Well, what if you don't have a solution? 
but you know, you see a problem. Are you just willing to over, you know, so people will just shut down. You don't hear about things. And um, I think that what, with Carlin, what I like is that he's talking about just the, the self-importance that we place on everything. And I really would like to see the humility thrown in because that's why we're having so much problems with cultural awareness um, because we're only looking at things from our own perception. And we need to realize that perception is reality only to us, <laughs> our reality, right? Right. Their, their perception is reality to them. And if you don't open up your mind to try to develop your emotional intelligence, your perception is going to be so slanted and you, you, you're just shutting yourself down and you see it so much. I mean, I, I don't have a very controversial stuff that I put on my YouTube station, but the few things I have that are, have any kind of political thing. I interviewed a guy running for president in 2020. People go crazy. They write the meanest, nastiest things, you know? Yeah. And um, I've had uh, the creator of Linux Code, new uh, software on my show, Richard Stallman, you know, and they write stuff because of, you know, they're either one way or another about if it's uh, technology sometimes. And the, the mean quality that I've seen in people is really horrible to me. And, and I think that, you know, social media helps make that easier for people to be mean because it's easy to hide behind a screen and say something nasty. And it's so hard because people just really, uh, it's hurtful. And I'm sure those people wouldn't want to have people say the same things to them. And yet they feel very uh, okay about doing it to other people, but it shuts other people down. And Mm -hmm. I, I, and I really would love to see that not happen but of course we're humans and it's going to continue to probably happen so what we have to learn is we can't control other people we can control our 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 take on when we hear these things or when we read these things and it's hard it's very hard but consider the source okay and sometimes if you think of who's writing those things they're they're really unhappy or they're something you know is not making them you know, be in a good place or whatever it is. And if you let other people hold you back, uh, they're winning. And you're, what does that, what, what, what are they winning? They're winning at your defeat. And, and that's, you know, it, it's, you're not going to get anywhere. And I think that within the organization, if you're fearful, sometimes you're in an organization with which you're maybe not very well aligned. I mean, if there's a negative culture, if your boss is a total jerk and he's the head of it all, things probably aren't going to get much better. And sometimes it's time to leave. Sometimes it is. I mean, I'd like to think that a lot of uh, leaders just aren't aware and they would change things if they have a negative culture. And I see a lot of them who do that. They hire leadership consultants like me and others to come in and, and change things. And, um, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of commitment. But anybody who's doing this, like the Curiosity Code Index training in their organizations, you know that they've bought in that they need to do this. And so the employees can feel less fear to know that my employer thinks fear is a problem and I don't want it to be. And so that's a good step right there. And, and I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough thing to overcome all these things. With fear, it's like what we're saying, you know, one wants to look dumb, nobody wants to have their ideas shut down. Uh, with assumptions, we all have these voices in our minds that we have to work on and, and analyze what we're telling ourselves and try to overcome those. With technology, sometimes we're letting it do it for us or we're overwhelmed by it. 
and we were we could be afraid of it you know and with technology it's holding people back to some extent and i'd like to see uh people not just ask uh siri or uh you know, I say her name or she'll turn on the Google uh, the other devices, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Echo, um, to um, ask questions, you know, answer all of our questions. I mean, you have to kind of know the foundation behind some of this. And I think that it's great to have this technology, but to know why the technology works the way it does and how it works the way it does is really important as well. And so that that's really important to me. And then an environment, you know, you can't change what your parents or your teachers did in the past, but you can recognize what the impact that they've had. And not that they meant to do anything to shut you down. Everybody has great intentions when you're a parent or a teacher, I'm sure. But things inadvertently happen and you have to recognize, well, this is what happened and this is how I can overcome that and open my mind to, to new possibilities. Now, a couple of things you said really resonated with me. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one being with regards to your reaction, you know, to, to social media, you really can't control other people. You can only control yourself. You can control your own reactions. You can control what you put out in the world. Um, and that really, you know, resonated with me. I study um, Aikido, which is a Japanese martial art, and it has a lot of those principles embodied. Um, and another thing you said that really resonated with me is that whole aspect of, when you're communicating only kind of seeing your perspective and the other person seeing their perspective, the, the way I think about that um, is when you and I are talking, right? Like I'm seeing your background, you're seeing my background. So we're actually seeing slightly different perspectives, but imagine if we stood next to each other, shoulder to shoulder, and we were talking about the thing that we're both looking at, how different does that change our interaction and our perception of things? Yep. And, you know, it's interesting. We can both be standing shoulder to shoulder looking at the same exact thing and still not see the same exact thing. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, and think of children and families. I mean, anybody who's had more than one child will see yeah. you're, they're born with a certain personality from day one. Yeah. And that is what, you know, when I studied Myers-Briggs, a lot of people don't really love Myers-Briggs, you know, but there's some part to it that I think is interesting in the fact that in the research, uh, they found that people pretty much have the same results on their Myers-Briggs test when they're young and they take it again when they're older. And which basically tells you your preferences for, you know, whether you're introvert or extrovert, if you, you know, use feelings versus, uh, you know, you're, you're more uh, into facts and figures and different things. Um, I think it tells you that you know, you have this preference, just like you have a preference for right-handed or left-handedness. You can write with your left hand if you're right-handed, but it's uncomfortable. And so we all have the things that make us comfortable in our personalities. And we get those right from the beginning, and they don't seem to change that much. So we have to be able to recognize that what's comfortable for me might not be comfortable for you. And that's a hard thing for a lot of people. And that's the, the empathy part is working on. And, you know, empathy is such a huge part of emotional intelligence. And I, I was lucky to have Daniel Goleman, the father of, you know, ah. he was on my show. And he, I call him the father of emotional intelligence. I don't know if he would because he used work from other people as well. You know, everybody's, there's always a father before somebody else, but he's that's the right. one who made it so popular. And it was so great to have him on the show. And what was interesting to me is now he's into mindfulness quite a bit. He wrote a book called Altered Traits that he's working on now. And it, it you know, it's, 
still the mind kind of thinking, you know, it's all what we can control and what we can't control of how we think and, and how we react. And, and it's all tied in, in some respects to the same interests. I could see why he would go that direction. And I think that, you know, there's so much focus on mindfulness. I, I can't tell you that I'm the most uh, biggest you know, person that's into that. Actually, I was teasing him when he was on my show because I listened to his audio book like I do all audio books on double speed, right? <laughs> <laughs> I do 1.25. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, yeah, you know what I mean? So, you know, because I have like so many things because I work for seven universities right now and I'm right, launching a book and I got a radio show and I've got 50 things. You know, I'm working 12 hours plus a day sometimes. And so I like to have my guests information and listen to it if I can while I'm doing something. So I'm listening to him on his book going, you know, importance of, you know, re, you know, you got to relax and take control of listening to your mind. And I'm like, I'm double speed listening to it. So I told him that he left. But I go, yeah, that's when I knew I needed your book is when I, <laughs> so all of us can be improved in some way or another. Right. And we all, and recognizing that, um, is really important. And I recognize I could slow down and, and be more mindful. And, you know, you recognize these things from reading, from learning, from exploring, from asking questions. Well, Diane, it's been a real treat to talk to you and hear your expertise on curiosity. Thank you. I really enjoyed being on the show. This has been so much fun, Joe. Uh, what things are you working on and how can our audience get in touch with you? Uh, I am actually working on a lot of things. Uh, right now, I'm launching the Curiosity Code Index training uh, for coaches, leadership consultants, uh, HR professionals, anybody who wants to become certified to give the CCI can do that. CuriosityCode.com is the site for the book, the assessment, the training, everything. Um, and if you have any questions, you can also contact me through my site. Uh, I'm on social media at Dr. Diane Hamilton. So D-R-D-I-A-N-E-H-A-M-I-L-T-O-N. I'm on social media everywhere. LinkedIn uh, is my preferred, but I'm on Twitter and Facebook and everything else. But uh, I'm also, you know, if you go to curiositycode.com, you can get a free chapter of the book and you can learn a little bit more. I was fortunate that I had uh, Keith Croc, the, the uh, chairman of DocuSign, um, wrote the foreword and Steve uh, Forbes uh, wrote a nice blurb for the front of the book. And I've had a lot of uh, people who have given me some great feedback. So you can, you know, get a little bit of that from one of the chapters from the site and that's free. And uh, that's what I'm working on. And also working on a book on perception and some of that, which we talked about today as well. But that's a little bit farther down the road. And uh, so right now, my focus is to get the world to be just a little more curious. Love it. Thank you, Diane, for sharing your insights on why it works. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Joe. Like a man with a yellow hat and a monkey great book to go with this podcast is Cracking the Curiosity Code, The Key to Unlocking Human Potential by today's guest, Dr. Diane Hamilton. To receive a free copy of Cracking the Curiosity Code or another audiobook of your choice, just go to audibletrial.com slash why it works. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash why it works for your free audiobook. To support our show, please leave a rating or comment or become a sponsor of Why It Works by going to www.patreon.com slash why it works.
That's www.patreon.com slash whyitworks. Thank you. And remember, the enemy of learning is boring. Thanks for listening to this episode of Why It Works. For more information about Joquan Joe Coaching, as well as access to my articles, videos, and podcasts, visit joquanjo.com. And stay tuned for our next Why It Works adventure.